to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Dave Jennings, and we're talking all things systems. Dave is the founder of System Hub and Systemology, and during the podcast, he talks about his transition from moving on from his digital agency and hiring a CEO. He's still involved, but only works a couple of hours a week in that business. And he also takes us through his seven-step process around how you as a business owner can systemize your business and get out of the day-to-day operations. So I really enjoyed this chat with Dave, and I think that you'll get a lot out of it. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to our chat today. I know that you're a systems man and I'm really into systems myself. And we actually have had quite a few chats on the Bean Ninjas podcast about different themes related to systems. But why don't we start with a little bit of your background? If you were to meet someone at a social event, how would you explain what you do? I am an entrepreneur from as long as I can remember from leaving school, getting interested in the stock market and just thinking about how do I make the most amount of money that I can. I thought that would be by trading stocks and very quickly I realized just trading the stock market isn't enough. You also have to have a good amount of money and then that set me on my path to then go, okay, well, I need to go make some money. So then I started everything from importing product from the States to creating digital courses to I had a rock and roll clothing music store that I was a business owner in and we got that up to three stores. I'm selling things like ACDC t-shirts and worked in a supermarket, did just so many different things. I, I got heavily into online marketing and really, yeah, just testing lots and lots of things. And then I suppose I, I started to find my feet when I was got interested in the stock market stuff and a business partner I joined at the time, we created a home study course to teach people how to trade the stock market. And I became the, the marketing of that relationship and yeah, started to learn a lot about online marketing and promoted that business. There were some changes in Australia back when that was happening with our financial or they had what they called a Financial Services Reform Act, and you required a certain amount of licensing to give financial advice. And at that point, my business partner didn't want to head down that route. So he headed in one direction and I had built up a team which was doing all of the marketing for these online products that we'd built up. And then I was kind of like, okay, well, what do I do now? And then I got interested in sort of digital marketing and we set up a digital agency and, and I got stuck in that business for a over 10 years before I finally kind of stepped out and then had some big changes in our lives. We had some kids and I was that busy business owner working 70-hour, 80-hour work weeks and um, I just decided I didn't want to live that lifestyle and then that's really what set me on, on the path to what I'm working on at the moment. I still own the digital agency but I spent a good amount of time getting out of the operations of that business and um, yeah, I had a CEO who runs that and, and now my focus these days is I help business owners step out of the daily operations of their business. And I do that through some software and training and a, and a bunch of different things to try and yeah, to solve that particular problem for business owners. 
But I'd love to talk through that process of getting yourself out of operations. I think a lot of business owners want to do that, but the reality of actually making that happen it can be quite different. So how did you go from thinking that you wanted to do it to having the CEO up and running and in place? And what did that, that whole process look like? I always had um, a little bit of a, a bias towards systems and processes that came from that stock market education background because whenever we think about trading the markets we think about building up a trading plan which just is basically a set of conditions that you decide up front it's a bit like a business plan and it helps you to think about when you buy how much you buy what you sell that way when you're in the markets you don't get emotional you just follow your system or your process so I always had that programming in the back of my head along with having read some of the classics like the e-myth and built to sell, what the systems, scaling up, traction. A lot of these books talk about systems and processes. So in the back of my head, I knew that was a real key part of the process. But for some reason in the digital agency, I tricked myself into thinking that, yeah, but this business was different. You know, this is a digital business and Google is always changing its algorithms and the online landscape feels like it's changing every second week. So I can't systemize this business just because it's too much change and that really was what held me to the business for years like it was literally 10 years I worked in that business as the center cog in that machine you know answering all of the different clients questions and delivering work and doing sales and looking after staff and trying to get the strategic direction of the business just absolutely everything and it wasn't until we found out we were pregnant and I thought oh you know I don't want to be that dad who's always while I work from home back then I remember just not necessarily being that present I was always here but I wasn't always here because I was thinking about business and late at night answering emails first thing in the morning answering emails and then it bled over into the weekend and I was just always working so it started off by just going right I need to make a change and I suppose using that the idea of having kids as the catalyst for that change. And then I just started to test a lot of my assumptions. I thought, you know, I had a lot of these ideas around systemization. I used to think that systems and processes for that particular business, because it was a creative type business and things were changing lots, that it just wouldn't work. So, well, I thought, well, maybe I need to start systemizing things, static components of the business, things that I knew wouldn't change. I started off by getting some documented processes and procedures down for things like invoicing for clients and, you know, some of the financial side of things. And then we started to look at marketing and basically moved around the business. But it started off first just trying to get very clear what the the minimum set of systems and processes that needed to be in place for the business to operate. And I tried not to get too overwhelmed by all of the things that could be systemized. And I started to think about, well, what are the minimum number of systems that need to be systemized? And that's that's really where it started. I was doing a lot of the initial documentation and getting things into place and trying to record it. And I kind of learned quite a few ways to make that easier as I got started. But initially, it was just me really grinding it out. And did you need to change any of your product offerings at that point when you were thinking about, right, I want to change the business? And I, from what I understand of digital agencies, there can be quite a variety of services that you offer. So did there need to be any change in what you were selling? Or it sounds like maybe you started with 
things that were static and concentrated on those first? The first thing I do, it's um, we have a process we call the identify the critical client flow. And that has to do with getting very clear on who the target audience is that you're sharing and or that you're working with. Part of that is understanding the problems that they have that you're going to provide a solution for. And then once you do that, it helps you identify a primary product that you're going to systemize first. I like to think of it as the gateway to the rest of the business. So for us um, in the digital agency, we had a thing we called an SEO starter pack and it was like an audit and some on-page optimization and basically getting someone set up so their online presence was pretty solid. And that was pretty consistent for what we delivered for any business that took it up. There wasn't a huge amount of variation and change. We just picked one of those central products that we think, right, this would be a great starting point for our target audience and let's look at systemizing this first. That's what someone needs to think of just to start with because you, a lot of times the business is already kind of working, so you're already selling products and services and oftentimes people are doing that customization and the business is going to continue to operate as it has always. You don't have to systemize everything straight out of the gate. Focusing on that core central product or service that you want to start with, do something that can be systemized, that will have some levels of standardization that will apply to every single business that you work with. And then, you know, beyond there, we still do some customization work, but we've kind of shifted more and more away, really turned into, I suppose, a productized service. And we have a range of different services that we offer but they're all with very set deliverables. They're all for a particular person. They all solve that particular problem, which makes it easy for us to systemize. The challenge is always when you're doing very custom work. If, if everything changes every single time, then you need someone who's you know very skilled who can customize it every single time. And usually that ends up being the business owner. And that's a big problem because now you're kind of tying the business owner into the delivery of the product or service. When the real key is you need to be able to deliver your core product or service without the business owner because that's when you'll get the scale. Yes, and so Bean Ninjas is actually a productized service as well and we evolve from a similar problem that you talked about where originally when I was doing consulting, I had to be involved in every project and then we broke it down into well, what products can we offer that solve a particular pain point and can be delivered in a systematic way. So I love that you've mentioned productized services. Again, that's something we talk about a bit on the podcast. So you've mentioned systemology and you've talked a little bit about the process in applying this to your own business. If you were working with other business owner and looking at or helping them to get out of the day-to-day, what does that system look like if you're rolling that out to them? The way I came up with the system was after I got myself out of it, I went through the push and the grind to systemize it. And then we hired the CEO and she came in and then I started to work more strategically. I took a little bit of time off and we had the kids and started to kind of reevaluate what do I want to do next? And we had a few clients who started to ask, hey, where's Dave gone? Because I was pretty heavily involved in the business up until that point, you know, in all of the marketing, in what we would do on social media, in our emails, out with interviews uh, with delivery of the product or service. And then I kind of just disappeared. And I had a few people say, oh, how did you do this process? And I said, oh, you know, I'll show you. And we hopped on Zoom and we did some screen share and I showed them our 
project management platform and the way that we were constructing systems and processes. And then a few more people evolved and they were like, oh, can you show me? And then we ended up running these little groups. And then ultimately, I was meeting every fortnight with a group of about 15 business owners taking them through this process. At the time, I didn't have a name for it, but that's what has effectively evolved into systemology. And it's the, the systemizing a business. It's a seven-step process. And it aims to address a lot of business owners reach the conclusion that they need to systemize. They'll read something like the E-Myth, uh, then they go, oh, okay, but how do I actually do it? And that's what I've tried to break down to go, well, how do we make this happen without the business owner involved at every step of the way? Because that's usually a big reason that the business owner doesn't systemize. It's They recognize that it's important, but usually systemization is not urgent. So it always gets moved down the priority list. So I figure as soon as we can get the business owner taken out of the process, then it's more likely to happen. And we start off by doing what we talked about, the critical client flow, and that's to do with identifying that central product that you you want to start to systemize. And you think about how do you get customers? How do you engage them when an inquiry comes in? What does the sales process look like? How are you invoicing them and then onboarding, delivering the product or service, and then how are you getting them to come back? That's usually where we start. And then step number two, the assign phase. You think of it's kind of like an org chart, but it's more about assigning the responsibilities for those different tasks and steps in the process that you identify. If you think of the critical client flow as it's a high-level system of the business, but each one of those systems you, you want to drill out and get more detailed how-to information underneath. And oftentimes... The business owner has that knowledge, but sometimes there are other team members as well who have that knowledge, whether it's invoicing a client or you know, maybe it's a small team and you've got a sales assistant or another salesperson. They know that sales process. So the key is to identify wherever possible who has that knowledge that isn't the business owner. So that also gives kind of rise to this idea of when the right time for systemization is. And I usually say once you've got between anywhere probably about three to 30 staff somewhere in there. I think if if it's still just you and one or two team members and maybe contractors that you're working with, it may be too small or maybe too early for you to do heavy systemization because you're not going to get a huge amount of leverage by that, getting the documentation down. But once you start to get more than a few team members, we're able to pass knowledge around. We're about able to get team members to complete things to a certain standard, which then frees up the business owner because they don't need to be involved. So that second step is really just thinking who has the knowledge and wherever possible, let's try and make it not the business owner. So that way, again, we start to take them out of the process. And then we have a look at the extraction phase, which is step number three. And it's understanding that systemization is a two-person job. There's the person who has the knowledge. and They might be the person who choose the invoice out through zero, your bookkeeper. They have the knowledge, but they also might be very busy. So they might not necessarily be the best person to do the documentation. You might come up with a bit of a flow or a process where you record that team member doing the task and then you have a separate person who does the documentation. Because oftentimes your best team members or the business owner, they're usually the ones that are most busy. Them going to them and saying, right, I want you to document your components of your job. They're not going to have enough time. So we try and make that process as easy as possible. And then it's a, we move to that fourth step, which is around the organization. You have to think about how does this happen? Because it's 
one thing to have a system or process in place. It's another then to get your team to follow it. So you need to make sure you have the right tech stack, technology stack, the software. You need to think about, we always talk about a project management platform that handles the who does what by when. You need somewhere where you can get that level of accountability to go, this is your task that I want you to work on, or this is your area. And this particular task is due on a certain day. And then similar to that, or very closely aligned is where you store those how-to documents that we collect. Now, we use a platform called System Hub. It doesn't really matter though if you use Dropbox, Google Drive, or you know there are other solutions out there as well. The key is just to have a central place where all of your knowledge is stored. So that way you can kind of link the two together. You can assign a task to an individual and you also have the how-to document that explains how that task is done. And then the final few stages of the process, you kind of then move into the integration stage and that's really about getting the buy-in from the team. And we go through a process of trying to identify if there is resistance in the team, how someone can then help the team member that may be creating the resistance understand that this is a benefit to them. Systemization actually helps the team and helps them individually. You know, it means they can go away on holidays and know that their tasks or jobs are going to continue to get complete. It means they can go away and not come back after holidays and have an inbox filled with a thousand emails because work can continue because you've got systems and processes and tasks can be delegated. And um, again, you you think about the team member and what benefit is to them for systemization. Maybe they want to become more valuable to the business, move up and get promoted. Part of that process is letting them know, well, if you can help capture and create systems and processes and then delegate it down to other team members, that then gives you capacity to take on higher quality work, which makes you more valuable to the business. Also, there's a few myths around this idea of even if I systemize my business or got the how-to documentation down that my team wouldn't follow it. And usually that's most of the resistance comes from your existing team members. I actually find, you know, someone, if they've been with you for a long time, we've always done this particular task this way. Why do we need to change? That's usually where you get the resistance. But as you grow and you get new team members on board, if you've started to install this systems culture in the business, then that's all they've ever known. Like, oh, this is just the way that we do things here. Those early days of transitioning and building up a systems culture, that's where you'll have some of the challenges. But once you break through that, it actually gets a lot easier. And then that kind of leads to the final couple of stages of the process around step number six is the scale step. And this has to do with critical client flow. One of those, the first step in the process, we identify what are the key systems required for that core product or service, but they're beyond that, then we need to start to think about for scale, what are the other systems and processes that we need in place? What do your financial systems look like? What are the weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual tasks that need to happen in your HR? So, you know, hiring staff, onboarding staff and managing staff, your management related systems, what sort of reporting are you going to need and what's your meeting cadence look like? That scale component is Outside of those initial set of systems, what do we need? And then we move to the final stage in the systemology process, which is around what we call optimization. And that's a lot to do with getting the appropriate dashboards in place. At this point, you've now got a base set of systems, an operating system for your business. You've got 
different team members following those processes and doing it consistently and you've got your software in place so that way you've got the accountability and it's happening. Now you can create a dashboard that actually means something. You can look at how many leads you're getting, how many sales you're making, you know, how long it takes you to deliver a project and you start to get some of these key metrics down and then that's when you start to make improvements because in the optimization phase and we suggest the optimization is actually the last step in the process. It's a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll try and optimize things too early. When they try and put a system or a process in place, they want it to be just right or perfect. And that just becomes another hurdle or another reason not to get started with systemization where you're better off just capturing just what you're doing. That's a great level one. Let's just capture what you're doing or figure out who the best team member is the particular task and let's get everybody at least doing it to the standard of your best team member. Once you've got that, then we can start to think about optimization because at least everybody's following the same process and we can start to make changes and see how it affects other parts of the business. A lot of people as well, they might think about optimizing their sales process, but unless you have a good dashboard in place, you might not realize the effect that it can have further down the line. Yes, you might start selling a whole bunch more, but your salesperson might be over-promising and then making it very hard for your operations team to deliver that product or service to the standard of whatever the salesperson has sold, which then basically drops off your repeat business and your referability. And if you didn't have a dashboard in place, you wouldn't necessarily know that. And you might go, oh, wow, sales have jumped up significantly. Little do you know, it's falling off that back end as well. So that the optimization happens by having the dashboard and some consistency. And then this is the point at which the business owner, I feel like, moves in their real unique ability. Business owners are great at solving problems and challenges. That's what they do. They see a problem in the world. They go out and create a product or a service to solve that. But then they get stuck in the operations and then they start solving the same problems over and over and over because they don't have a system or process in place. But once you get your all the bases covered, the, those basics, then the business owner can start to solve higher quality problems and think more strategically and they can see within a business, oh, this is a recurring problem that keeps coming up. I'm finding that our days receivable or you know, I'm always chasing up clients to get them to pay on time. Okay, well, maybe we need to think about adjusting the system or process for the way that we're collecting the money. Maybe we need them to start paying up front. And that's when you start re-engineer the process or you might bring a consultant in for a particular area. You might say, oh, I'm having trouble retaining stuff. Okay, well, let's get a, a HR consultant to come in and look at our baseline systems and processes and make some recommendations on how we might change things. And that, uh, yeah, it's actually a repeating cycle. You kind of get to that optimization, then you might circle back around and you you might pick out another product or service that you do a critical client flow for. Or sometimes you can actually have another go at that same product and re-engineer it again. I've done a lot of talking there, so I'm going to take a big breath and it is a um, detailed sort of process that we go through. But hopefully that made sense and kind of resonated with you, Meryl, because I know you've got that systems brain as well. Yeah, there was so much gold in what you talked about there from the way that you laid out the step-by-step. And there was a couple of things that you mentioned that I just wanted to highlight. One was around the system not needing to be perfect right from the get-go. And it's more important to just get it down and then bring the team members up to the level of the highest performing team member, but not trying to put all of that energy in to get every little system perfect. And then 
the last stage in the process is, is around iterating and improving. So do as much as you can with the systemization, and then it's a constant process of refining and tweaking and gradually improving. And I really like that philosophy behind it. So yes, there's a lot of work up front in getting the system in place, maybe changing your team culture around systems, but then it's something that will need ongoing attention and improvement as well. Two things really stood out there. One is one of the biggest reasons I see people struggle as they try and install systemization and systems thinking in the business, changing that culture, is they look to something like McDonald's as the poster child of business systemization. I mean, you read it in the E-Myth and a lot of the books where they're, if they're talking about a systemized business, they'll use McDonald's and then the business owner thinks, oh, I need to systemize like McDonald's. And they think, I need to systemize like McDonald's is today. And they're looking at a business that has been systemizing and perfecting for the past 60 years. And then that's like being someone who is at home, who doesn't train, doesn't really do any exercise, deciding that they want to compete in the Olympics and basically going up against the world's best athlete and then expecting to perform at that level. What you need to be thinking about is how do I systemize like McDonald's did 60 years ago and start there with the basics, make it very easy on yourself and then start to improve it and build that systems culture. And and I believe it should be part of the, the systems culture, should be a part of the values of a company, you know, whether that's constant never-ending improvement, whether it's looking for the system solution. I think that's a big part of making this work it is getting everybody on the team to understand this is just the way that we do things here. So I'm interested, going back to your story with bringing on the CEO, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Did you promote someone internally or did you hire someone externally? And how did you go about identifying who you were looking for and then finding that right person? I was very fortunate in that I did recruit it from internally. Melissa had worked with me for years. She was actually a business partner, her and her husband, in that rock and roll clothing music store that we used to run many years ago. And then we kind of went our separate ways and then she came back to work with me. It was great because I, I had that level of trust. She's a business owner, so she understands what it takes to run a business. And because I'd, I'd known her, she kind of very quickly got into my head. I have been trying to think about how to replicate that for other businesses and business owners. How do you find that person? You may already have them internally. You may need to recruit for it. If you recruit for someone who is a CEO or an operations manager, it can be a very expensive role to recruit for. So depending on the size of the business, that may or may not be possible. So the other way you can do it is start to look for someone with certain characteristics. They're detail-orientated. They're great with people, like management skills. They can handle running projects and those sorts of things. And that's really how Melissa came on board. She didn't jump straight into the role. She learned about the business and she kind of just evolved into that role. And she was almost like the, she had all of the strengths that complemented my weaknesses. Like I'm good at coming up with ideas. I'm a quick starter. I can see a problem out there in the world and then we create a product or a service to solve that. But it wasn't until she came on board. I used to think I was a good people manager, but it wasn't until I actually saw what a good people manager actually looked like that I realized I wasn't as strong at it as I thought. Um, she was very good with follow-through. 
great systems mind, very good attention to detail. So there's probably, yeah, some characteristics you need to think about for that person. And then for me, I groomed into that role as opposed to recruiting directly for that role. And how long did it take from you identifying, okay, I think Melissa could do well in this role and flagging that you wanted to start grooming her to her being ready for that role? She was already working in the business. We made a particular effort over the sort of nine to 12 months when we found we were pregnant. That ended up being the timeline. She was already in the business at that point in time. So she'd gotten her head around the way that things were working. But I identified for me to step out of the operations, I need someone to step in and do those operations. So that was an obvious thing. So then it just became a matter of finding or thinking about, well, who was the right person? I was fortunate in that she was the obvious choice. We had the discussion around goal was the vision that we were heading. And um, once we kind of both agreed that was the case, then she sort of started to help working with me over that period of the nine months, 12 months to capture a lot of those systems and processes and start to hand some of the roles over to her. And then the whole dynamic started to change. I then I started to look at the business differently. That's when that whole idea of dashboards and optimization came to mind because I, I was starting to think about what metrics and what numbers do I need to see to have confidence that the business is performing well without necessarily me getting stuck in the weeds of project by project, how things are going and how clients are going. I'm still involved in the business. I do about half a day a week in the business. It's not like I've completely just let go. But the roles have changed significantly. I just don't get involved in the day-to-day work now and it's much more strategic. I wanted to ask you one question around the book Rocket Fuel and how you see the roles of an integrator and visionary. I know we've spoken previously and so I know you've read the book, but I think it ties in nicely with the theme of systems. So I was interested to get your perspective on whether you think that's a valuable framework or not and then uh, where you see yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Melissa and I hadn't read the book before we came to the conclusion that, you know, she was the yin to my yang. And then I read the book and I gave it to Melissa and I said, you have to read this book. The book has basically described us without knowing us and finding out now that it's a common relationship in successful businesses is where you have the visionary, the person who's able to see the future and come back to the present moment and explain to the team or to their operations person, their integrator, the direction that they're going to head. And then the integrator is the person then that is able to take that dream, interpret it down into sort of the moment and some actionable steps on how to get there and provide a little bit of a reality check for that, the business owner. I used to struggle as well with calling myself the visionary, but really that's what I I do. I'm setting the, the strategic vision for the business and then she really helps with the implementation of that so it's quite helpful and reinforcing for us both to read it and go oh wow this is actually something that's quite common and then now I recommend that book all the time particularly for the business owner who finds themselves still very much at the center of the business I'm like okay well you have to find the person who complements your areas of weakness and have them sort of step in and then start to take over some of the responsibility. And that gives the business owner space, again, to do their best work. Oftentimes, there are different opportunities that are falling in front of the lap of the visionary or 
chances for big innovation that they just don't see or think about when they're so heavily involved in the operations. But if they can step a little bit outside of the business, then they start to go, oh, wow, I can see these opportunities that are right in front of me and I have the space to take advantage of those and run with them. Whereas for years, they might not have just because they were stuck in the operations. And that's really what an integrator does. An integrator gives that visionary space so that they can then do their thing, their unique ability and bring their magic to the business. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. We just have two wrap-up questions which relate to our theme here at Beanages, which is around financial freedom. And I was wondering if you could share what financial freedom means to you, if it means anything. Everyone seems to have a different definition, and so we're really interested in different perspectives around that. So that's question one. And then the other is anything that you're working on at the moment or anything that you're reading that is helping you to work towards financial freedom. Yes. So financial freedom for me, it's just the ability for the business owner to choose what it is that they're working on. I think a lot of business owners, they build up this business and they're the the centerpiece and they just get used to doing things a certain way. And now, even if they wanted to take a break, they couldn't because they're so tied into the business and by taking a break that the business would fall over. So I think for me, getting the financial freedom or working towards that freedom then then means that the business can operate more consistently without that business owner. And then the business owner can then start to work on their passion. And that, I suppose, step one is getting to financial freedom where they have the comfort to know that things are taken care of. But then step two of that freedom then moves into passion freedom and then it enables you to work on things that you're truly passionate about. So I feel like financial freedom is step one on the path to getting to passion freedom, which is ultimately where I think most business owners want to get to. They oftentimes, you know, they don't necessarily want to be lying on a beach doing nothing. Even if they had financial freedom, they would still be doing and working on a project because they enjoy working on a project or bring something into the world. So it's about giving them the choice. So that way they don't just have to do it because they have to make payroll or they have to meet their obligations. They're now able to make that choice because they want to. So that's really what financial freedom is about. That's step one for me. And then is there anything, is there any action that you're taking to help you towards that or that has helped you in the past or a particular resource or book that's relevant to that? Yeah. Whenever I think of financial freedom, I'm always thinking in terms of building up assets and the asset generates the income that provides that financial freedom. And in business, I see systems and processes effectively as an asset. It's something that you can work on once that continues to give you a reward or benefit. So um, you create a system or a process and it saves you five or 10 minutes here or there, but then that happens consistently over a period of time. So you're building up this asset value for the business. And now the business can start to provide an income or money as a result of that asset without you having to be involved in it. So I'm always thinking about how do I build up the assets, whether that's, you know, I'm talking at the moment in terms of the business asset. And then once that money starts coming in as well, then you take that money and then you deploy it into other assets. Assets might be like real estate or in the stock market. And again, it's all about generating something that creates 
some sort of cash flow or cash into your pocket that you don't necessarily have to directly exchange your time for money. That's, I suppose, what I think about. I'm always thinking about how do I build up these assets? And that is beautifully tied back to the theme of this podcast. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Dave. It's been fantastic having a chat with you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, pleasure. And I might just finish off, if it, depending on when someone's uh, listening to this, we are running a summit that's coming up called the Business Systems Summit. I'll, I can mention the link and that's, um, I'll go and basically interview a bunch of different experts, get them to share their systems and processes so someone can then start to build up their own assets inside their own business. Because I feel like systems and processes are probably the most important asset in business. And we'll also put a link to that in the show notes. And Dave, you've given me the honour of interviewing me for that summit as well. So there'll be a financial systems component or video as part of that summit content. We'll definitely share that in the show notes as well. And I highly recommend anyone who's wanting to implement systems within their business to check it out. Perfect. Thank you very much. And yeah, looking forward to sharing your session as well. It's an area, I think, financial systems. You don't really have a solid business unless you have your financial system sorted. Want to upgrade your financial skills and learn how to use Zero better? Here's what Stevie, one of our past students, shared about her experience with our Financial Literacy for Zero Users course. I just wanted a simple way to understand it for peace of mind. I wanted to make sure that everything would be really kind of plain English, easy for me to understand, and that if I had questions specific to my own personal circumstances, that I could have those answered as well because that's where I was feeling really lost. I basically went from having no idea about how zero worked or how to read a profit and loss statement or what a general ledger was to feeling like I was comfortable with all of those things. And I really kind of got to the point where I understood the financial health of my business. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero farm and not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and want peace of mind with your finances, our course might be the solution. Applications are now open for our financial literacy for zero users training course designed for non-accountants who want to better understand and manage small business finances. Head over to beanninjas.com forward slash course to learn more about our financial literacy course and to apply.